Good morning. I really do love Sundays. Let's pray, and then we're going to talk about the Sabbath, and we're going to talk about rest, which is especially important because we're tired. We had a good night last night. So let me pray, and then we'll dive in. Um, Father, we're, we're so grateful for this day, for this beautiful weather, to be here together with the body, and to be talking about the command to rest. So Lord, impress this upon us. May we be restful people, and may we be Sabbath-observant people, and may we do this for joy, for the joy for you that we have in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I really do actually. Hi, guys. Good morning. I really do love Sundays. I, I think that probably sounds like, you know, you're the pastor, so you have to say that you love Sundays. But I legitimately love Sundays. And it's because I get to come here and participate in covenant renewal worship. And I can say that because we were at some unhealthy churches too. And I had times on Sundays where rolling to church was, was hard for our family. Like it was a little bit of a, especially when you're in like spiritually unhealthy places, it becomes kind of like this cheese grater on your soul. And that's not, that's not what worship's supposed to be. And of course, because worship's not about us. So I love Sundays because we get to come here together as the body and we get to do this thing that we call covenant renewal worship as the body of Christ. And we were talking, Chris and I were talking last night, this has been a week of feeling really overwhelmed, but like in awe and reverence, not like overwhelmed by how much there is to do. It's been just so overwhelmingly encouraging and beautiful and wonderful to spend time with our family in Idaho and to spend time with our family here now and to get to do this. And originally I was just going to be like, hey, let's just give a, like a briefing on what took place in Idaho. And I did that last night anyways. And then I read this book uh, over the last week about the command to rest and the command of the Sabbath. And I was like, man, this is just in a restless world what we as a church need to talk about today, this idea of rest, the command of the Sabbath. And I would ask you, if you think of me, what comes to mind? I don't actually want you to answer that. I'm a little bit terrified to know. But my guess is rest is probably not the word that's at the top of your mind when you think about me. And that, that makes me sad, actually. That's a shame. That's a shame because I know that I'm busy, and I know that my busyness sticks out because there's always a lot going on. But what I hope and I encourage after this is that my rest becomes an encouragement for you as well and encourages me in the ways that I can grow in my Sabbath observance and my rest and our rest. And I, like, I'm a busy guy. I worship, I father, I teach, I preach, I study, I write a lot. One of the guys at the airport, it was his birthday, and he had a, box of, uh, a bottle of single malt. He's like, oh, you want to have a, you know, a birthday scotch with me after flying? I was like, oh, yeah. And the bottle was called Writer's Tears. And I was like, man, I get that. I feel that like right deep in my soul is the Writer's Tears. But I write a lot. I fly sometimes. I run a bunch of errands. There's just stuff going on. And, and just like for all of you, there's a lot going on in life. Life is really busy. You guys have to go to work and you have to run errands and you have to take care of families. And th there's just so much to do. And I know that I've even expressed my kind of goal for everybody. You should go to bed tired. Like, it's good. It's good to have a good hard days of work. And, and to be at the end of the day, like, you go, Kristen calls it going horizontal. And you go horizontal and you're out because you're just so tired. Like, you've been, going to bed tired is a gift. But the question then is, where does that leave us with rest? And that's what we're here to talk about today. Rest and the Sabbath. And it's, it's so incredibly important, and it's predominantly overlooked in 
modern Christian communities. And so let's go back to the very beginning of the Bible, and let's see what the Bible says about the Sabbath. Genesis 2, 1 through 3 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So God creates everything, heaven and earth, in six days. And then on the seventh day, he rests. God rested. <laughs> Thought about that? God rested after he worked. I want you to, that concept, just keep that right in front of your frontal lobe, your frontal cortex, as we talk about this. Now let's look at Exodus 29 through 11. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in all the six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I don't know how much clearer just for those two texts in the first two books of the Bible that it could be, right? Work for six days and rest on the seventh. So the seventh day is a Sabbath. It is a day of rest. But think of like those. But wait, there's more. Act now and just pay separate shipping and handling and you can get another set of Ginsu knives. But wait, there's actually more, right? If those two passages weren't clear enough, and I don't think anybody here will want to get into a preemptive debate about this. You, you find this in some circles, this idea about, about covenant of works, covenant of grace, Christ came to fulfill the law, so these things don't apply anymore. People will make that argument. Or we don't see it represented enough in the New Testament, and we don't see how Jesus kept the Sabbath because, and so because of that, we don't have to. Well, he was surrounded predominantly by Jews that were all keeping the Sabbath, anyways. And then he gave us some specific, he showed us specifically how we can break Jewish Pharisaical law. But so we're not going to, I'm not, I don't think there's even a debate to be had about whether or not the Sabbath is valid based on the kind of the, the argument that's used why people don't keep it, because look at this. How many of you have heard of the Ten Commandments? Raise your hand. You've heard of the Ten Commandments? We're familiar? That's good. How many of you believe the Ten Commandments to be binding? Like, yeah. Greed. Does anyone know what the Fourth Commandment says? I'm not going to hold you if you don't know what it says. But do you know what the Fourth Commandment is? Uh, yeah. Good. Number four, Deuteronomy 5.15 says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's number four. God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath. You have to do ginormous theological gymnastics to tell me that nine of the Ten Commandments only apply. <laughs> no, I'm really good about that don't murder stuff. That's fine. <laughs> Choking on my own spit. That's ridiculous. All Ten Commandments are binding. All of them, including the Sabbath. And I would even say, especially the Sabbath. When you don't keep the Sabbath, <clears throat> you're failing to keep God's holy law. You're failing to follow the Ten Commandments. That, that's just a fact. Now, we know that we're not saved by works. We, we know that we are not dead under the law, thank God, but it doesn't change what God has told us. The, the, the fact of our redemption from the penalty of the law 
doesn't change the fact that the law is good, right? Thou shalt not murder still stands. We agree? Honor thy mother and father, what you just said. Those, those are still binding. All of those commandments are binding, which means we need to be doing something about our Sabbath. That's just what it means. Now, this is not to be a condemnation, especially if Sabbath observant isn't where you want it to be. This today is to be an encouragement, and I hope it's a rocket launch for your desire to keep a biblical Sabbath. That, what's number one? No other gods before me. No. Um, I want this to be an encouragement so that you can experience the true biblical Sabbath, which is one of joy. It is incredible joy. It's like having a Thanksgiving feast every week. Seriously. Now, most of you know I spent some time as a Jew. And if you want to try to have as little fun on the Sabbath as possible, you should try a legalistic Sabbath. It, it, it's empty. I, I tried to rationalize theologically why it wasn't empty, but it, but it was because you're, you're busy trying to think about there are 39 things you're not allowed to do. And there's subcategories to all those 39 things. They call them malachot or labors, 39 prohibited labors. So one of them is you can't make a fire. Well, that means you can't drive your car because your car has a combustion engine. What happens if it's an electric car? Oh, but electricity is actually some type of tra transfer of fire, so you can't do that. You can't flip on a light switch, and you have to prepare the food before. But you can bring, you can bring Vern the non-Jew to your house, and if you've set up a code, wink, wink with my right eye, wink with my left eye, that means turn all the light switch on, then you can do that. And, and so you, you have this Sabbath observance that is all the, the can't-dos, and then the legalistic workarounds, and it's all supposed to keep you like really pious and connected to God, and it's not restful. It's actually not restful because it's legalistic. And you can't be in grace when you're trying to save yourself with works. It's not actually possible. And so it's this legalistic way to look at rest that doesn't provide you rest. It actually, I would say, takes away joy. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't wonderful, like I've had great Shabbos dinners with Jews, but I would say the actual observance of the, the orthodox, religious, pharisaical Sabbath is one that drive, drags you down legalistically and is not deeply connecting with the Lord. It removes joy because you're trying to do it perfectly. Ah! can't believe I turned on the oven when I wasn't supposed to. So what's the Sabbath supposed to be if it's not supposed to be legalistic? Well, when we get to it at the outpost in the, the 20 chap 21st chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith, we're going to see some good guidance there. But what we're going to see is that, first, the Sabbath is built to worship God. That's primary task number one. That's why you're here. And your Sabbath practice must include going to physical church. You cannot do church on the internet. So somebody asked me yesterday or the day before, what should I wear to a virtual wedding? And I wrote back and said, there's no such thing. <laughs> now, you, obviously, there's people may out of town, they need to see the video or whatever, but you're not, you, you, hey, we'll dance at the reception here on Zoom. That's ridiculous. Like, the part of being in the wedding is, is joining in the covenant with the couple so you dance on the dance floor. You have to come to church. That's why we won't shut down. You know, if, if, if things get wonky, we'll move locations. We don't close doors, right? The, it's God's church. <laughs> it's important that the body meets together. And that, that's how our Sabbath starts. Because we're called to start our weeks with worship. So the Sabbath day is actually the first day of the week. I want you to keep that also in your mind. The Sabbath day is also the first day of the week. I'm going to come back to that. So then the question is, what should the Sabbath be? Well, we have this really big clue in Scripture in Mark 2, 27. And, and he said to them, 
The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. So, so the question, what does that mean? Oh, Sabbath is made for you. Well, it means exactly that. It, it's made for man. Your observance of the Sabbath is, is for your benefit, not for God's. God knows how to rest already. He, he's got that figured out. He rested after six days of work. You're the ones that need the rest. You're the ones that need to imitate that. So the Sabbath is for you, and it's for rest. I mean real rest. It is, it is where we separate ourselves from the restlessness of the world. And have you noticed that the world's restless? Like the world's absolutely restless. It's on edge. There's a, there's a tension that exists. I just saw, I keep seeing shootings all over the place. I saw, what was the one yesterday? I saw it was like a, Southlands Mall. Juveniles shooting each other at Southlands Mall last night. It's insane. The world is restless. It's on edge. People are going Mach 9.5 with their hair on fire, right? It's restless. But see, here's the other side of it. You were all created for work. Uh, the, the command to work was given before the fall. So work by itself is not bad. Actually, work is part of what you are designed to do. Slothfulness is sinful. The sluggard is sinful. Proverbs has lots to say about that. But to work well, you must rest well. And people who don't know how to appropriately rest actually don't know how to appropriately work. People who don't know how to appropriately rest don't know how to appropriately work. I know that. I, I, I have enough life examples to help any of you. If you don't have your own life examples, I'll just give you mine. So, so think about the idolatry of work in our culture. Jobs and job statuses are probably at the highest level of idolatry that they've ever been in, in the history of mankind. People being defined by what they do, that the, their value is seated in their career. I, I had this problem for a long time too, right? They become, uh, their employer is their most important like badge of pride. I work for, my job there is, and they'll sacrifice their family, their sanity, they'll end up with high blood pressure, right? All for the, all for the company. Gotta, gotta do work for the company. I, I did this. It's crazy. They buy into this notion like, my fa I work for the Coca-Cola family, right? That's what they call it. You're part of the Coca-Cola family. No, you're not. You're not my family. You're my employer. That's ridiculous. But it makes an idol, it makes an idol out of work. So then what happens when people with that mindset get laid off? Or that company goes out of business? All of a sudden their world collapses. What am I going to do? I was defined by this. Uh, I'm restless now. I'm anxious. There's panic. There's problems. And this is the same panic and the same anxiety those people had at those same jobs when they weren't resting there as well, right? It just carries over. And I know this because I lived like this for a very long time. And then I tricked myself when I was Jewish that if I kept a legalistic Sabbath, it would fix this problem. Well, keep the Sabbath. And I couldn't even keep the legalistic Sabbath for a variety of reasons. It was all a lie, and it was all restless, and it led to discontent, and it was like literal brain damage, literal craziness. You see, pardon? An ulcer. You see, the Sabbath, the true Sabbath, is a break from that. Keeping the Sabbath prevents you from making work into an idol. It, it, because keeping the Sabbath requires humility. And it's rooted in trust in God. And I want you to think about this. If you go back through the Old Testament, God always requires sacrifices from his people. 
God always requires sacrifices from his people. In the time of the temple, you would bring physical sacrifices to the temple. You would give first fruit sacrifices. You would give financial sacrifices. Abraham was called to sacrifice his son as a test. I'm going to talk about tests in a little bit. The choicest ram or bull, right? You brought these sacrifices to God. Now, we don't have the temple. We don't have a sacrificial system in that way. But you do have to sacrifice things for the Lord. And one of those things is your time. The tithe is your sacrifice of your money. It's showing that your money isn't yours. When we give our money away, we are acknowledging that it is a gift from God. It's a sacrifice. The Sabbath becomes a sacrifice of your time, which in 2023 for many people means productivity or, or the lie of productivity. i teaching economics and I've been explaining the concept of opportunity cost uh, to the students. And so a couple weeks ago, opportunity cost is the cost of not doing something. So if, let's see here, if the example for the Sabbath would be as if you chose not to work on the Sabbath, if you chose not to work on the Sabbath, the opportunity cost would be the lost wages. Right? Now there's a gain, I would actually say the Sabbath is way more valuable than your lost wages, but, but there is an opportunity cost to decisions. And so when you choose to not engage in your normal pursuits on the Sabbath, you lose out on time, you sacrifice time. It becomes a time sacrifice to God, but it's a sacrifice based on trust because God has commanded you to rest. He actually requires you to rest, and, and He requires it because you're His image bearer and He rested. He set the path for what that's supposed to look like. And this is the beautiful thing. We ask this all the time here, right? Do you believe in the promises of God? He promises that He will care for you, and, and the Sabbath is the outward show, the sign of that trust, do we believe in the promises of God? Will we live that out by observing the Sabbath? It's trusting that if I don't go to work, if I don't engage in my normal pursuits today, that God will still provide for us because He promises that He will. And my friend Brian says we live our theology out in our fingertips. I think that's true. The Sabbath is a way we get to live our theology out in our fingertips, like in, in real space, in real time. And keeping the Sabbath helps us remove the vanity of thinking that you're in control. Psalm 127.2, it is vain that you rise up early and go, to late, uh, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. I love it. For he gives to his beloved sleep. How many of us have eaten the bread of anxious toil? Yes and amen, right? Like, eating the bread of anxious toil. <laughs> and you know what the bread of anxious toil tastes like? It's always bitter. It's always stale and bitter and moldy and it never tastes sweet. But do you know what, what bread that, that is made with love and joy and comes out of the sourdough oven at 12.20 this morning? It tastes sweet, right? It tastes sweet. It tastes delicious. It tastes like heaven. That's the Sabbath. The Sabbath is literally Thanksgiving. You know how much you love Thanksgiving? You get to feast and you get to be merry, and you, you raise a glass, and you have a good time with the people you love, and you have conversation, and you probably play a game, and, and you are rejoicing. Thanksgiving, that is the Sabbath. It is, the Sabbath should be the same level of joy you have at Christmas. We love Christmas in the Thai household. The Sabbath should be that same level of joy. It, it should be a period of intense feasting and intense joy every single week, and it should be what we strive for. It should be what we look forward to every week. Like, we should be looking forward to the weekend going, this is great. I have Sunday to worship and rest and feast. I can't wait. 
So, now that you are duly convinced that the Sabbath is commanded and it is good, and food will be coming soon. We did order it. They were just running a little bit behind. I'm making it this morning. Because God, everything that God gives us is good. And without it, we can't actually work. Without resting, we can't actually work. How do we do it? Great question. So I had an artistic version of this. I penciled out two nights ago, but I'm not an artist. So I'm going to save you what I drew, but I'm going to see if I can find somebody who's artistic to draw it for me because I lack artistic talent. But I like to think of the Sabbath in the rhythm that we have as a little bit of a sine wave like this. Okay? And so it's important to, to, to remember that the week begins and ends. So the week ends Saturday and it begins on Sunday. I really want you to, 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 to internalize this when you leave here today. The week ends on Saturday and the week begins on Sunday. Those are the bottom points of the sine wave here and here. Okay? And I, I say this because I want it to change the way you view the week and how you think about the week. The historic church viewed the first day of the week as Sunday. Actually, in 321, Constantine established Sunday as the formal beginning of the week. That's because the Lord's people have always gathered to worship on the day of Christ's resurrection, three days after his crucifixion. That's why we worship on Sundays. And this is a change from the Jewish Sabbath, which worships on Saturdays. So, for our rhythm, we want to look at the week ending on Saturday and beginning on Sunday morning, and then we think about it as this sine wave. And so for us, before the outpost, Saturday's a hopping day. Homework's getting done, we're getting yard stuff done, we're getting cooking stuff done, we're getting errand stuff done. Uh, yesterday was like a day of homework and PhD writing and sermon writing, and like it starts early and we're kind of go, go, go. That is our, our day of home, being home productivity because we have Fridays for us are a family day. That's the beautiful thing of the, the four-day school week. So we have Friday as a day to like go do as a family. And, and then Saturdays are kind of what I would say productive, get stuff done day. And then as we get, our, we get near the outpost, we start to climb the sine wave. So the week is ending and we're climbing the sine wave. And now, now it's getting close to outpost time. The day's in its last third. People are starting to arrive. It's 5.15, it's 5.20. The food's been cooking. The house has the aroma of, of whatever is being made at the outpost at night. And there's anticipation. Is it 5.30? Are, are the friends here? Who's, who's, even, who's even coming tonight? Do, do we know? Did anybody tell us they weren't? I mean, like, kind of a guessing game. We don't really know. So-and-so's out of town. Or, oh, I'm pretty sure we're going to see, uh, you know, so-and-so because they're back in town. Pour a cocktail. We play a quick game of cribbage. And people are coming. And we get to show Christian hospitality and then experience fellowship. We get to open our doors. And we show mercy. Part of the Sabbath is showing mercy. God giving you rest is mercy. You bringing people in, in, in hospitable ways, acting in hospitable ways, participating even in other people's hospitality is mercy. So you see, we, we, we open our home and we show mercy on brothers and sisters. We welcome their home. We welcome strangers. Right? Bring your friends. Bring your out-of-town guests. Bring the neighbors. We give people a taste of the Lord, our, our pre-Sabbath feasts. It's time to come together. We learn, we sing, we eat. We prepare ourselves for today, for Sunday morning. And then at 10 or 10.40 or 11 or 12.05, people leave. Kids go to bed. Krista and I stay up a little longer and clean up and relax and talk and laugh and reflect. It always sends us to bed in a good mood. 
Then we wake up. And some Sunday mornings, the number of hours between when people left and when we wake up is shorter than other Sunday mornings, like today. But I don't ever set an alarm on Sunday mornings. I wake up naturally. We have breakfast. We have coffee. We go to church. We're climbing the sine wave still. We've been on this upward slope as the outpost starts of climbing the sine wave, right? We get to church. We set up. We get a breakfast burrito. We say hello. The, the girls practice. You all start arriving. We fellowship. We have hugs. We have coffee. And we start climbing the hill faster. We're climbing the sine wave hill faster. Then there's the call to worship, and then we sing. We confess our sin, sins. We, we, we sing a, a psalm. We confess our creed. We pray. We hear the word. Now we're climbing the hill faster. It's coming up to a crescendo. It's an apex. And then we hit the apex, which is the Lord's table. That's, that's the peak of the Sabbath, is coming to the table here. We come in peace to arrive at the table to share a meal with Jesus, to dine with him, to commune with him. It's the pinnacle. Would you mind seeing? Would you check with Julie where the food is? Would you mind? Is that okay? Thank you. It's the pinnacle. It's our highlight of the whole week is being invited to the table for a meal with Jesus as his family, as his children. It's a a meal of remembrance, and it's a meal of joy. And then after communion, we we start to crest the hill on the other side of the sine wave. We start coming down. And there's a benediction. There's a sending, a call. You are to go out into the world, right, in the power of the Holy Spirit to live your theology out of your fingertips. And then we go out there, and we have a beer, and we have more fellowship, and we laugh. And we're, we're winding down from the apex, from the crescendo of communion. And then we leave to go to rest. And for us, with very few ex- exceptions, we go home, straight home from here. We don't go anywhere else. We go to the seat of our rest, which is our home, the microcosm of the temple. It's where we separate ourselves from our worldly work. And we try to make it screen-free time in our home. We'll watch a movie if everyone's going to do it together. But we don't separate in general. We try to maybe play a game or take a walk, hang out outside. We take a break from our normal, common, day-to-day activities. I don't balance the checkbook. I don't respond to emails. It's a time that's separate. It's set apart. That's what holy means. It just means set apart. It's a time to enjoy the Lord. A lot for me, it's sitting outside, like cocktail and a book and, a, and my family and enjoying this beautiful creation of God. I read a lot on Sundays, but I change what I read. I don't read my books for PhD. I read the books I want to read. I don't do my sermon prep. I still may read theology things that I'm interested in, but I'm doing it not as an academic study on Sundays. I'm doing it joyfully. A lot of times I read fiction. I hear the birds. I watch the bees. Sometimes I listen to Ricky sing his goat song. Ma! <laughs> Very restful. So, it's <laughs> poor Ricky. And then we feast for dinner. We don't have a lot of folks over Sunday nights. But if we do, it's usually one family, one couple, one set, one person. Because it's time to be interacting individually with people. Right? We... The outpost is great, but like last night we had 30-some-odd folks, right? But we bounce around. So if we have just one, that's a, a different type of focus. And none of this is legalistic, and sometimes it doesn't always happen like this. 
But it's so important, and it's real rest when we separate in that manner. But here's the other part of this that we have to think about. The Sabbath command applies to everyone, not just Christians. So if all, we need to be thinking too about how we help other people not work on the Sabbath as much as possible as well. We need to be thoughtful about how we patronize businesses. We need to be thoughtful about how we put people in employ. If you have people that do work on your home, maybe don't have them work on a Sunday. Even if they don't know Jesus, they too should experience rest. That's why we try to do the the shopping and the things on Saturdays. And what I would tell you is that real rest is so incredible. And that Sabbath is that real rest for us. And it's a rhythm. And it's a rhythm that has bookends with feasting on either side. We feast with all y'all on Saturday night, and we feast with our family and people invited to that table on Sunday nights. I end my week with a feast, and I start my week with a feast. And how much better is that than waking up? You ever seen Office Space? Looks like someone's got a case of the Mondays. Like, how much better is that attitude going into your week? Because it began here on Sunday morning, instead of waking up on Monday going, work. You, you have already begun your week today and you began it in joy, which means you can go into the workplace in joy because you are looking forward to the rest you have next weekend. Not like, oh, I get the weekend off. This is about real rest with feasting and joy. This is what it means in Mark 2, 27, and he said to him, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It gives you rest. We're just wrapping up here. I hope, I hope today convicts you of the importance of the Sabbath. I hope that it encourage you, encourages you to, to want to fulfill the Sabbath. One, because God commanded you to do it. So that should just be enough of a reason. But this is the beautiful thing about God's commands. If you follow God's commands, there's all kinds of great secondary benefits. And the secondary benefit is the Sabbath is so good for you. You will learn to really work if you learn to really rest. And it's hard to make this shift into Sabbath observance, right? There's all these yes buts. Yes, but we have to make money. Yes, but I only get two days off a week and there's so much to do. Yes, but, yes, but, yes, but, yes, but Deuteronomy 5.15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God has brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. That's you guys are awesome. Thank you. We have breakfast. So... Here's, here's kind of the bottom line, guys. Kristen's going to pass out some food, which is great. Grab some burritos. Everybody is a slave to something. Everyone's a slave to something. What, who you're a slave to matters. Be a slave to Jesus. But everyone is a slave to something. And did you know that poor people understand rest better than rich people? I know this firsthand. One, because I used to work for really, really rich people, and they were never in rest. That's true, even with all the fancy vacations they took. But here's the other reality. All of you are rich. All of you are rich compared to so much of the world. We get so vain and so prideful, so wrapped up in ourselves, so hard in our hearts, right? Filled with these yes, buts. But the reality is God's commanded you to rest. And without it, you can't be successful at work. You see, the rich don't understand rest because excess makes it hard to see the need for real rest. When you have so much and you want so much more, it makes it hard for you to see like, I need to rest. But if you've been poor, if you've done back-breaking work, 
if, uh, if, if you have been exhausted to the point of absolute exhaustion, you know, you know the need for rest. If you've had a taskmaster that has doubled your required output without any help in production, your pharaoh, right? You know how glorious real rest is, especially if the production you have to do has to get done. Because sometimes your work has to get done. If you don't do it, like, there are very serious consequences. You know that you will know rest. The poor and the weary know rest. They know how glorious rest is. The rich don't appreciate rest. So, so us as rich people, compared to the world, need to, start, need to start becoming poor in heart and valuing rest. Slaves treasure rest. Think about that. Think about if you were a slave and you were given rest. Slaves treasure rest. Well, remember, you are a slave. But who do you want to be a slave to? Do you want to be a slave to Pharaoh? Or do you want to be a slave to Jesus? Because if you're a slave to Christ, then you rejoice in the rest that Jesus commands you. He commands you to work for six days, and he commands you to rest for one. And I was thinking about this. I didn't put it in my notes, but I was thinking about this this morning. If you, if you worked really hard for six days, how glorious would one incredible day of rest be? versus the weird five-day, two-day thing that we do, that's a relatively new construct. And the weekend turns into, it's actually not particularly restful. People are like, their hair on fire. Ah, I gotta get all this other stuff done! Well, what if you think about a six-day work week and a one-day of rest? Five days, potentially, your vocation, depending on what your schedule is. One day of work on a Saturday doing, and then starting that rhythm and that crescendo, that sine wave of, now it's a feast, and my Sabbath has begun, it's apexed at communion, and now I get to, on the backside of the sine wave, after the sending, it's rest that ends in feasting, and I go into Monday refreshed in the Lord, looking forward to next week. The Sabbath cycle rhythm is based on trust, and it's based on sacrifice. Work is good. Rest is better because it puts work in its proper light, in its proper place. Don't forget, family, you're called to take dominion to live for all of Christ, for all of life, to build the kingdom of God. And that will be tiring. And I was thinking just the other night, our world is so much closer to Egypt than people would like it to believe, right? The taskmasters have demanded so much. They want an increase in production with less. They want your time over your God and your family. They want your alliance to be to them and not to the things that actually matter, which is Jesus. And then God tells you, no, no, you need to rest. You need to separate. You need to be intentional. You need to rejoice. You need to feast. You need to worship. You need to glorify. And, and the Sabbath becomes this physical way to experience the divine. It's a physical way to experience the divine. An incredible time of joy. It's a Thanksgiving in real life every single week. It's a Thanksgiving for from being saved from the slavery of the world into the freedom that is in Christ. It's these words of Jesus' experience. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest for your souls. I want you to evaluate how you viewed the Sabbath, how you've approached the Sabbath, how you can be more intentional in it. Pray and meditate on why rest is good and needed. Set your table Sunday evenings and have a feast. Do something a little different. Put some candles up. 
Get a tablecloth. Invite friends and family. Drink the good drink. Eat the good food. Laugh and rejoice. Play hand foot. Play hand foot and laugh. Reflect and pray on the goodness and the mercy that God has given to you. And pray to him that you can take that same goodness and mercy in the way you show hospitality and teach other people to rest. Do something different. Maybe turn your screens off. Maybe don't run those errands on Sundays. Doesn't need to be legalistic, but find a way to make the day separate. Use it as a way to live your theology out in your fingertips. Obviously, if there's an emergency, you know what you should do? Take care of it, right? If there's an emergency, go get it done. But make your rest a priority outside of emergencies. And I promise you this, it will change your worship and your joy. It is one of the most countercultural things you can do in a world that idolizes work and tells you, go, 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 climb the ladder, climb the ladder, be the best, make the money, woo, woo, woo. I want you to make good money. I want you to build for a thousand generations. I want you to have an inheritance for your children's children. But, but you can't do that if you don't rest. And you can't do that if you don't worship God well. Proverbs promises this. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, and then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bust, bursting with wine. The first fruit, fruits of the Sabbath is your time. And when we dedicate our time to God and we honor him with our time, he will fill our barns with plenty and our vats will burst. He will. It's, it's an act of trust in following the Lord and learning to rest well, and, and it, it, it will fill you with joy. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for rest. We're grateful for this Sabbath day and this time to come together and learn. So bless us, Lord, as we all increase in our Sabbath observance, in our joy in the Sabbath, and getting to taste and see that you are good. Fill us up with your mercy and goodness, Lord, and may we carry it out to the whole world. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.